There's a word that, a Greek word, and the, the word is diakrisis, and I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, but I did a little research this past week. The word is used in the New Testament, and it's used for the what we know as the English word for the word discernment. And it's actually a comp, com, compound word that's made up of krisis and a preposition dia. Um, the krisis part is the same word that we derive, a word that we're familiar with called the word critic. Uh, dia is also a, a term that we understand. Uh, it's where we get our word diameter, which means to, to go through. <clears throat> like the diameter of a circle is the distance through the circle. So you put those two words together, those two words to make a compound word, and based on that, discernment means to judge through. It means to judge through a matter. And that's what I want us to look at today is what does God want us to do when it comes to judging things? And we're not talking about judging people today. We're talking about judging things that come up in our lives. And I will say, first of all, that there is nothing wrong with judging if it's done in the right way. Uh, the righteous way, and again, we're not talking about judging people, but the righteous way for judging is to do it with an eye for being an objective critic. Remember where the root of this word came from. Uh, kind of like an, an art person would do when they look at a piece of art. They look at it from a critical point of view for its good and for its bad. <clears throat> if we're going to judge something, we must judge the, the true merits or, or the faults of an action, a decision, or, or whatever it is we're judging. This kind of objectivity is really the key, and that's why we, when uh, in our justice system in the United States, whenever we see Lady Justice portrayed, she's wearing a blindfold. Because what that is, is showing us, that justice is not looking at the person, it's looking at the facts. And when we are to judge something, or when we are discerning something, we are not looking just at the person, we are looking at the, the facts of how it is. And I know somebody's saying, well, I've always been told we're not supposed to judge. Well, hopefully by the time we get through this, we'll see the difference in actual discernment, the way the Scripture talks about, and judging the way we generally think of it. Judgment should be made on something's merits or on its faults of whatever we're judging not on the individual. It is also important to be thorough in when we are discerning something. Um, there's a saying, objectivity with thoroughness equals true discernment. Objectivity with thoroughness equals true discernment. Throughout the Bible, we're told never to, to judge according to an outward appearance. Proverbs 18 and 17 it says, the first to present his case seems right till another comes forward and questions him. And when I read that, I thought, well, what does that really mean? I believe the writer was suggesting that with a lot of things, they appear to be true until we examine them a little bit more closely. A lot of things on the surface. The first to present his case, this is talking about particularly a, in a legal matter, that a person that comes up and everybody that states their side of the argument seems right until it's questioned a little bit. And once it's questioned and the objectivity is put there, then all of a sudden the truth comes out. Okay? So that's where we get that objectivity with thoroughness equals true discernment. I believe it, it not only tells us that it's okay to examine things, 
with the intent of showing the proper discernment, not just okay, I believe it's telling us that we should examine things with the intent of showing proper discernment. I believe that as Christians, we have to, to take the things that we hear and we have to look at them with a true objectivity to decide what is true and what is not true. I'll give you an example. We would not allow a cardiologist to do open heart surgery on us without doing a lot of diagnostic tests. If you just went to his office and you sat on the table and he took his little hammer thing, he hit your knee, hit your elbow, and he goes, yeah, I think we need open heart surgery. Well, no. No, we would want to be judged all the way through as to the necessity of going in and doing whatever quadruple bypass we need. And that's the same way we need to look at things when they're presented to us in the light of, of the gospel or in the light of being the truth or in the light of being the word of God. What is it really? Have we really examined it all the way through? <clears throat> Colossians chapter 2, I want to read verses 1 through 5. This is Paul writing to the church at Colossae. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who, who per, I have and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And that's the, kind of the crux of what we're getting to today. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. <clears throat> One of the concerns that Paul had when he wrote his, his letter to the Christians at Colossians, Colossae was the effect that false teachers were having on their faith. Because there was a lot of false teachers. You have to remember, the church was in its very early stages. People weren't all that grounded and rooted because the, the entire concept had not been around that long. And so there was always people that would, came, that would come around and they would take a version of what Paul had taught and his disciples and Jesus' disciples and all the people that had gone out and they would take it and change it just a little bit and try to teach it as gospel. And Paul was telling them there were some really slick, smooth-talking purveyors of man-made beliefs out there. Imagine that. Aren't you glad we don't have to worry about that today? These false teachers wanted to discredit the gospel message that Paul had preached. They wanted to persuade the people that having faith in Jesus Christ was insufficient for securing a right relationship with God. What they were saying was, you need to do it our way. Forget what Paul told you. Forget the teachings of Jesus Christ. It wasn't sufficient. It was a good start, but it wasn't sufficient. Now you need to do it the way that we say. Some said that faith in Jesus must be combined with something else in order for a person to be saved. Again, imagine that. <clears throat> Others said that the object of Christian faith is faulty, and that believers need to abandon their belief that Jesus was the Son of God. Paul was concerned that the believers would fall prey to these slick presentations, uh, basically these religious snake oil salesmen. And they would be begin to have doubts about their relationship with God. 
or worse than just doubting it, they would set aside their faith in Jesus altogether and start putting their faith in what these false teachers were preaching. And as we listen to that, and we listen to that, that introduction there and, and look at what Paul was trying to tell the Colossians, we see that it hasn't changed a bit. We see that today these same types of things abound. They're happening around the world. And there's just false teachers everywhere. And if we are unable to discern what the truth is, what is in the Bible, what the teachings of Jesus are, if we cannot discern those things from the false teachings, we will find ourselves in the same situation as those that Paul was addressing. Why? Because we won't know the difference between truth and a lie. And I will tell you that the biggest difference between the people in Paul's day and the people in our day is that there's a whole lot more of them around now than there was in Paul's day. And on top of that, <clears throat> the people in Paul's day didn't have the media that we have to get their false message out. I guess that was one good thing. At least they had to go in person to do it. It slowed them down a little bit. And that even makes it more dangerous today. Last month there was a kind of a, a summit of, of world religious leaders. And in an effort to stop some of the false teaching that is taking place around the world, there was an African bishop that really ripped into this man-made American health and wealth gospel known as the prosperity gospel. And this is, this is hard to believe, but having been in Africa last year, you would think that people that were really, really poor, and particularly where I was, the average income was around $300 a year, that you would not think that the prosperity gospel would be a real issue. But it is. And this bishop warned that the prosperity gospel was becoming a huge problem for the Anglican Christians in Uganda. And I will tell you that it's also becoming and has become a huge problem for Christians in the United States. <clears throat> the right Reverend Bishop Stephen Kazimba said that rather than bringing blessings from God, this false gospel is wrecking havoc in the lives of families and undermining the true cost of discipleship. He said this gospel, and this is a quote, is nothing but cheap grace and greed that has been baptized. He went on to say this, that this type of gospel produces disciples who are like the seed that fell among the thorns. When the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke them, they wither and die. Remember the parable of the sower? Those that come and, and their, their entire walk with Christ is based on this theory of, of prosperity. He's saying that it's like the, the, seer, the, the parable of the, the sower that the ones that fell on hard ground, when the weeds came up and choked them, when things came up against them, there was no foundation and they just died. And I have said so many times that if our hope is in a get-rich-through-Jesus scheme, what happens when things get difficult in our lives? And sadly, when that happens, and I assure you it will, too many people simply give up because they don't have a foundation. Their, their entire coming to church, their entire belief system was in the fact of, if I do this, this, and this, I'll get rich. And then when they don't get rich, they think there's nothing to the Word of God. 
Bishop Kazimba added, this is a quote, the only people in prosperity gospel churches who prosper, you ready? Are the pastors who take money from their members. I'm glad I was quoting him on that. Because I really believe that. Kazimba warned that such pastors far too many times do not preach the cross of Christ and the real cost of discipleship. And I'm going to tell you this, while the prosperity doctrine, prosperity gospel, or whatever you want to call it, is certainly not the only false teaching out there, I will tell you it's one of the most damning. I say that because so many who teach it do it right alongside of some of the gospel. And it's just like Paul warned the people of his day. He wasn't telling them that they were telling, teaching them a complete lie. He said that they're taking what I taught you and they're adding and saying you have to add something to it. Or they're saying that what I taught you is not complete enough, that there needs to be more. I will tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is complete within itself. There is nothing that I can add. There is nothing that you can add or anybody else can add that would make it any better. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming to earth and living a life on this earth that was of perfection, and He gave His life so that we could be saved is not enough, then there's nothing I could add to it that would make it any better. What better person to lead someone astray than someone who throws in a little bit of truth? Here's an example. If I was going to counterfeit $100 bills, <clears throat> I certainly would not put a picture of Mickey Mouse on the front of it. What would I do? I'd want to make it as close to the real thing as I possibly could so that for most people that don't know the difference, they just take it and say, okay. And there's far too many people out there that are preaching a version of the gospel today that is close enough to the truth that many people who won't bother to look at the Word of God will say, well, that sounds good to me. I'll just take it. And that's why Paul was telling the people at Colossae to have discernment of what is true and what is not true. Paul's problem was that he knew that he could not be there in person. And since he couldn't be in there in person, he couldn't personally take them by the hand and say, don't do this. So he wrote this letter, and the reason he couldn't be there is he was in prison. And he couldn't meet them face to face. He had no choice but just to write a letter. But he, he was with them in spirit, and he said that they were in his prayers. And he knew that, he knew that initially they were well grounded because they had come to faith through one of his disciples. And while he knew they were well grounded, he wanted the Colossians to be discerning Christians, not just believing ones. I think we have to be both today. We can, we need to be believing Christians, but we need to also be able to discern between what is true and what is not true. What they needed in addition to the belief was the ability to discern the difference between what God says and what others claim to be true. And that is the only way that we can avoid being led astray. Paul knew that by, by compromising a person's belief in, in Jesus, by adding to the gospel or taking away something from it, it could shake the very foundation of a Christian's faith. Many people have completely gotten away from their faith in Christ 
because they started following a man who taught just enough of the Bible to get them to follow, and he added just enough to take them away from the truth. I'm not saying I have all truth. I am saying I know where it is, though. What it does, it leads to discouraged hearts. It leads to disunity within a church. It leads to a lack of love toward others. And ultimately, and this is the worst part, it leads to confusion about what is true about God. Paul knew that being a discerning Christian and standing firm on the foundation established by the gospel of Jesus Christ would lead to a greater understanding of God and to a stronger faith. Discernment. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 8. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. Paul told the Colossians that in order to keep from being deceived by these false teachers, they needed to have a healthy and growing relationship with Jesus Christ. At some point, they had made a decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of their lives. And then by making that choice, they were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now, he was saying, Christ is dwelling in them, and they have this intimate relationship with God. And they needed to strengthen that. They needed to make sure that that continued to live in them. And still, it was critical to maintain that dependence on Jesus so their faith would be strengthened. They couldn't just do like so many people do, and I guess they were doing it in Paul's day, but still do today, where they, they come to church and they, they see a need and they get saved and then they just sit back and say, I'm saved, I'm done. And they don't continue to live in Him. Paul was saying, don't just come to Christ. Don't just believe the Gospel. Don't just do that and stop. Because if you do, there's going to be false things that come in and they're going to harm you. In verse 7, Paul made it clear that the relationship they had with God through Christ must be accompanied with thankfulness. If they failed to grow in faith and simply tried to get by, if they rested entirely upon their original decisions and fa failed to make a choice to stay in contact with God, if they became complacent or ungrateful, it was then that they could find themselves falling prey to those who said that there was another path to God. That other path being one that's not based on faith in Christ alone. Because that's where our faith has to be. Paul warned the Colossians about the tricks that false teachers used to persuade others that what he had teached was not true. And they, he said that they came up with philosophical arguments of why believers should abandon their faith in Jesus. The stuff they said made sense. 
Paul was admitting that. He said this, the stuff they're telling you makes sense. It, it, it follows a line of philosophy. But the problem was that it depended on human tradition. It wasn't based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul made it clear that all of these teachings, the reason they would fail is they were built on man-made beliefs and had no biblical foundation. We see it rampant in churches today. I don't just mean on television or on the radio or in churches. That they have taken the gospel and somebody through their own opinion has taken it and changed it to fit what they believe instead of the way that it was supposed to be. Colossians 2, 9, and 10. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Here's the problem with, with the teachers, the false teachers of Paul's day. They were just had this whole series of things they taught. Some of the false teachers denied the deity of, of Jesus. It was the false teaching that Jesus was really not God. They taught that Jesus was, was simply a man in whom the Spirit of God dwelt. You go, well, that's silly. Well, yeah, it is. But there's a false, a very, very large false religion in the United States, around the world, maybe one of them has even come to your door, that teach that exact same thing. That Jesus was a, a man that the Spirit of God dwelled in. And then there was uh, those on the other side that denied the humanity of Jesus. They said that since God could not be human, that Jesus, if He was God, was not a man. I'll say that again. They said that since God could not be human, that Jesus, if He was God, was not a man. Here's the problem with denying the humanity of Jesus. It makes everything He did for salvation meaningless. If he wasn't human, if he wasn't a man like you and I, that his sacrifice really meant that there was this perfect man that was killed for all of our sins, then our whole plan of salvation has nothing to stand on. Well, come, go back to that one later. I see them look on some people's feet, huh? We cannot deny the humanity of Jesus Christ. Because if we do, then the Scriptures where, where it's written that He suffered as we do. If He wasn't human, then He really didn't suffer as we do. It means that part is not true. All of the things in the, during the crucifixion events, all of those things that we look at and see that there was suffering and there was death, if He wasn't human, then those aren't true either. See, Paul wanted his readers to understand who Jesus was and why God sent him here to dwell on earth. Jesus was not just a man in whom the Spirit of God dwelled, nor was he just a spirit who had no human body. 
Jesus was fully man, yet at the same time, he was complete and a perfect representation of God. One in whom all the fullness of God dwelt. Well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, that's what he just said right there. See, I didn't write that. Paul did. John 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, without Him nothing that was made that has been made. Jesus pre-existed creation. According to this, John 1 and 3, He was responsible for in the creation of everything. And then according to Colossians 2 and 10, He is head over every power and authority. Which kind of goes to another scripture that says He was and is and is to come. And if people would grasp that, then they don't have any trouble with that false teaching of He wasn't human or He wasn't God because He was both. Jesus was and is God, not just a man who walked around acting like God. There are plenty of those already. Jesus' purpose for coming to earth was to reconcile men to God through the shedding of His blood. Anyone who preached back then or preaches anything today that is different from that is simply not telling the truth. The U.S. government estimates that one-hundredth of one percent of all U.S. paper currency in circulation is counterfeit. Now, that sounds like a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. But it represents tens of millions of dollars of our currency that is in circulation is not real. The United States Secret Service is the agency that is responsible for tracking down and stopping counterfeit, counterfeiting. It's, it's interesting to know, and please stay with me just for a minute, it's interesting to note that in order for them to learn how to spot a counterfeit bill, they don't study other counterfeit bills. True story. Instead, they study the real thing. They spend time touching the real thing. They handle it. They look closely at it. They know it intimately. They know everything about it, the real thing. You know why? Because then when they come in contact with something that's not real, they know it. They are able to discern. They discern or, or detect that it's not real, that it's fake. And the same principle holds true when trying to protect ourselves from counterfeit beliefs. We study the Bible. We, we take this Word of God and we study it so that we know what is true. We know what the Word of God is. And because we know what the Word of God is, then we know what's false when we hear it. I've been there. That's right. We don't have to go out and dabble in every religion just a little bit so that we can find the truth. 
Don't have to do it. What you have to do is study the truth, know the truth, have it in your heart, and when you know it, you'll know when those other things that are, are not true pop up. We are to study the Word of God. We are supposed to seek wisdom to be able to discern what is true and what is not. Paul said to the Colossians in, in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, that we are to continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith, as we were taught. He's saying, you remember how you were taught? Hold on to that. That was the truth. Here's a simple formula. I, I really like this. This is a simple formula to test if what someone said is true regarding the gospel. If this other doctrine subtracts from the deity of Christ, adds new scriptures to the Bible, multiplies the requirements for salvation, or divides people off into closed, unquestioned communities, it is false teaching. Let me say that again. If somebody comes to you, and the doctrine that they tell you subtracts from the deity of Christ, if it adds new scriptures to the Bible, if it multiplies the requirements for salvation, or if it divides people off into closed, unquestioning communities, it is a false teaching. And as Jeff Foxworthy would say, and if you do all these things, you just might be a false teacher. <laughs> you see, the Bible does none of those things. And I will tell you today, I encourage you to read and study your Bible. I encourage you to become familiar with what it really says. I encourage you to listen closely to everything that is said, not from just this pulpit, but any other pulpit that you ever hear a word come from. And when you hear the words, compare it to what you know to be genuine. Compare it to the Word of God. Because that is the only way that you can discern what is true and what is not. I believe that we live in a day where we have to take positive steps on our own to avoid being deceived by false or faulty teachings. So you might be asking yourself, does that mean I should question what you say? Absolutely. Every word. If what I say does not match up to the Word of God, don't believe it. Paul was real specific about that kind of belief too. In fact, he said regarding the, the truth of the gospel and, and the teachings of Jesus versus anybody else's apparent, uh, uh, um, opinion, including his own, in Galatians 1, 8 and 9, <clears throat> he said, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Paul made it clear. There is one gospel. Learn what it is. Know it in your heart. Accept nothing else. 
And he even went as far to say that if I come back and tell you something different, don't believe it. If an angel comes to you and tells you something different, don't believe it. And that's why I have no problem telling you this morning that if I say something that doesn't match up with the Word of God, don't believe it. <clears throat> the only way that we will be able to stand among false teachers is to know what, what we believe and why we believe it. See, there's a lot of people that have one of those or the other, but you have to have both. There's people that know what they believe, but they don't really know why they believe it. They only believe it because that's what somebody told them. That's not good enough. You need to believe what you believe, not just because somebody was told you that, but because you know that it's to be true, that it is true because you've read it in the Word of God. And when you can really say that you really do know what you believe and why you believe it, it is then that you'll be able to discern false teaching. And that means it doesn't matter how eloquently the words are spoken or how reasonable they sound, you will know what's true and what's not. And when you've done that, you hold to the truth. Not my truth. Not Pastor Bajean's truth. Not radio pastor so-and-so's truth. But the truth of the Word of God. Amen. See, Paul didn't just stop at say, saying that if, if I come back here and, and preach something different, or if an angel or somebody else comes here and, and preaches something different, don't believe them. He went a little bit further than that. He said, let them be eternally condemned. Pretty powerful statement. To be a believing Christian, a person must make a commitment to make Jesus the Lord of his or her life. To be a discerning Christian, a believer must know what is true about God. And be committed to living their lives accordingly. Paul desired for the, the believers at Colossae and for us today was that they would stand firm in their faith. A faith found only in the truth of Christ that is revealed to us through God's Word and through the Holy Spirit. God bless you.